Legendary pro wrestling promoter Jim Crockett Jr. has passed away at the age of 76. Crockett's passing comes just days after he went into hospice care with kidney and liver issues. Crockett Jr. was a part owner and operator of the legendary Jim Crockett promotions from 1977 until 1989. The company, which ran affiliated with NWA, was started by his father and was sold in 1988 to Ted Turner, who renamed it WCW. Crockett Jr. was a three-term NWA president, last serving in the role in 1991. The Daily DDT family sends our best wishes to Crockett's family, friends, and all who are affected by his passing. Welcome to the Daily DDT Podcast, part of the Fan Sided Podcast Network. Here's your host, Jaden Becker. Marty Scroll off New Japan Pro Wrestling TV. WrestleMania tickets to go live in a week, and I take you through this week's Wednesday Night Wars. I'm Jaden Becker, and this is the Daily DDT Podcast. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite platforms for your morning drive, lunch break, or whenever you need your wrestling fix. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And remember, you can ask your smart device to play the Daily DDT Podcast. If you like content like this, check out our writers at DailyDDT.com. And if you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at Jaden Becker TV. Last night was WWE NXT and AEW Dynamite, but before we get into that, let's check out our news. New Japan Pro Wrestling not using Marty Scroll for the foreseeable future. First reported by Super J Cast, a New Japan Pro Wrestling podcast, Marty Scroll will not be appearing on New Japan Pro Wrestling Strong or any other New Japan Pro Wrestling shows in the near future. Last year, during the hashtag Speaking Out movement, Scroll was accused of sexually assaulting a then 16-year-old female. Posting two statements, Scroll admitted to what happened, but said it was consensual and legal due to the UK age of consent. Scroll also noted he wasn't aware of her age until afterward. Scroll was at the January 22nd New Japan Pro Wrestling Strong taping, where he was apparently involved in a post-match storyline with Rocky Romero, but those plans have been nixed, likely due to the backlash from fans. Scroll hasn't wrestled the match since February of 2020. WWE will reportedly put WrestleMania 37 tickets on sale next week. According to Fightful Select, WWE is expected to allow actual fans at WrestleMania 37, but in socially distant seating and on a limited capacity. WWE superstars were reportedly told weeks ago that comped tickets for friends and family would either be severely limited or eliminated altogether this year due to the COVID-19 protocols. WrestleMania 37 is scheduled for Saturday, April 10th and Sunday, April 11th from Raymond James Stadium in Tampa Bay, Florida. Uh, I am a huge fan of the two-night event of WrestleMania. I feel like it really gives it the pomp and circumstance that WrestleMania deserves. I think they should do that forever and ever going forward. You not only get to put on a super card on two nights, but it doesn't make it feel like a five-hour show, which some WrestleManias were uh, even a few years back where it really really was tough to get through sometimes but putting on two shows and two nights i think it makes it absolutely perfect speaking of wwe we're going to get right into these wednesday night wars nxt versus aew i like them both you may not but i'm going to cover them both here nxt we're going to do that one first oni lorkin and danny birch versus tommaso champa and timothy thatcher uh this match on paper is absolutely fantastic and i'm glad we got to see this to open the show and just given the physical physicality given from both Lorcan and Birch and from Champa and Thatcher for that matter for obviously all four of them are just complete beasts in the ring 
Thatcher has a neck injury halfway through the match, spilling him onto the outside. Champa enters on a fantastic hot tag and dominates. Great spot for Champa and Thatcher, banging on Larkin and Birch's chest. Imperium enters to get a closer look at the top of the entrance ramp, distracting Thatcher as he's going for a tag to Tommaso Champa. Larkin and Birch connect with an elevated assisted DDT to pick up the victory. Uh, when I saw Imperium, I was obviously very, very happy. Walter, once again, not finding his way yet to NXT uh, America, not NXT UK. He's still there and still is the current NXT UK champion and putting on fantastic five-star matches with Eli Dra Dragunov. So, uh, fantastic to see that. But for him to not be on NXT television yet, uh, we're going to have to wait some time for that. Uh, I think after the COVID-19 pandemic and when restrictions are lifted, uh, at least to that point, he'll finally make his way over to NXT. And uh, that would be great for NXT to have all four of Imperium all together once again, uh, something that they've been missing out on for quite some time now, quite some time uh, throughout all of this COVID-19 stuff. So that would be nice to see. Glad to see them once again getting back involved in the NXT Tag Team title picture, especially against Oni Lorcan and Danny Burch, but expect for them to have a match against Chappa and Ch Champa and Thatcher first beforehand. I think that that would be easy to expect. Next segment, Roderick Strong speaks out. Uh, in ring, as the segment starts, no entrance, no music, which is good. Uh, I don't want to see him come out to the Undisputed Era music anymore, and we'll see later in the night how things change with Roderick Strong and how his gimmick, not gimmick, but how his he is perceived now is no longer underneath the Undisputed Era banner, given that it is now pretty much dissolved completely because of Adam Cole. So, but a great way to start with him just to be in the middle of the ring and uh, didn't give us an opportunity to see an entrance. Uh, he spikes the dog tags that were ripped off of him uh, in the middle of the ring uh, after they ripped off of him last week. He spikes those in the middle of the ring. He calls out Adam Cole, but Finn Balor makes his entrance. Uh, Strong starts to blame everything on Finn Balor for getting involved and starting all of this mess. Balor says it's not his fault, it is the NXT title's fault. Balor then calls out Adam Cole and says next week they're going to have an NXT title match. So yes, next week we're going to see Adam Cole versus Finn Balor for the NXT title. And oh boy, that is a match if I ever seen one. Uh, but I think we've seen that match before, and if we get to see it again, and obviously not in a takeover sense, but still, any given Wednesday for this show, uh, I think they're very proactive in this point. And if they are moving to Tuesday nights, they're definitely going to go out with a absolute bang. A bang might be an understatement as they get through these past few uh, next weeks because they get closer and closer to WrestleMania. So, Balor and Cole next week for the NXT title. Balor says Strong has no killer instinct, and then Strong attacks. They have to be split up by a couple referees, and that's how that segment ends. Uh, they, we will see a Finn Balor versus Roderick Strong match for the main event of this NXT show. Next segment, the Way Therapist segment. Theory said nothing bad happened when he was kidnapped by Dexter Loomis. Uh, Indy Hartwell still has emotional attraction to Loomis throughout the whole segment, given into innuendos and just trying to throw hints out there about how much she still loves Loomis for whatever reason, just probably to bother or, uh, you know, continue the storyline of what's going on with uh, Gargano and Larray not being good, quote-unquote, parents to Indy Hartwell and Austin Theory. 
Gargano is told that he's the one who has a problem by the therapist and is kicked out by the therapist. We get uh, to be continued at the end of this segment and the therapist segment goes on throughout the night and I'll update you as it goes on throughout the show. Aaliyah with Robert Stone versus Ember Moon with Shotzi Blackheart. Robert Stone extremely scared of Blackheart and it's absolutely hilarious. Uh, More than a few months back, I believe around like six months back, we saw Robert Stone uh, and uh, I believe it was Rhea Ripley. Yes, that that feud. And that was a good feud there because Robert Stone really added a ton to it. I think he's a fantastic managerial role from a comedic sense and he does a great job uh, portraying that character and exactly what that Robert Stone character is supposed to look like. That Weasley guy that obviously has a lot of fashion and flavor and all stuff like that, but he tries to get his way over but can't do it all the time, and he flops around like uh, none other from a managerial position. He's had some in-ring talent, in-ring work as well uh, from in the past with the WWE and other promotions, but uh, for him now to be uh, in this NXT role, which he's been in for quite some time, he continues to uh, brighten up my, my night every time I see him on TV. Stone tries to interfere late in the match. Blackheart attacks Stone and Kamiya, who was on the outside, with a big splash off of the steel steps. Moon connects with the Eclipse and wins. Uh, I'm loving the consistency after the Dusty Cup to keep the new tag teams that were formed and keeping them together. I think that's really, really important, especially if you're trying to build a not only women's tag team division, but men's tag team division as well. Obviously, both tag team divisions are looking pretty solid now for both the men's and the women's on NXT, especially after the Dusty Cup keeping these tag teams together you could have split up moon and Blackheart. no one would have batted an eye because they were just together for the dusty cup that's what we would all, all assumed but no they continue to be together and hopefully soon have more matches and we'll see where it goes uh, and a good thing for the tag team division as a whole definitely to try and keep on building and building and building because tag team wrestling is becoming uh, a lot more hot right now as we've seen in aew and uh, wwe hasn't gotten the memo yet on the main roster but Hopefully they'll find that memo in NXT. Big match, and the biggest match of the night for me, Dakota Kai and Raquel Gonzalez versus Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler for the WWE Women's Tag Team Championship. Uh, the champions are very confident early on, dominating Kai and cutting the ring in half. Gonzalez is in on a hot tag, and Gonzalez and Jax meet face-to-face and battle. Uh, official is attacked inadvertently. Jax and Gonzalez uh, fly over the announce table. And then Adam Pierce, of all people, not William Regal, Adam Pierce from the main roster of WWE for Raw and SmackDown, who acts as the, I wouldn't say general manager because they never referred to him as that, but they have referred to him as, the, uh, as an official, as a WWE official, not in a referee sense. But Adam Pierce brings down a referee. Kai is caught in the Carefuda clutch. And the bell is rung by a Raw official, by a main roster official, but Kai was not the legal woman in the match. She was not the person that could have tapped. She could have tapped out all she wanted, but she wasn't legal. So, with that being said, uh, this match did end with Nia Jax and Shayna Baszler holding on to the NXT Tag Team titles, excuse me, the WWE women's tag team titles but hopefully as this story is not over as of yet because we did see William Regal and uh, we also saw Adam Pierce go and talk face to face with each other backstage this story is not over yet 
not over yet. And I still have a glimmer in my eye that this match can be salvaged. It wasn't a bad match at all for by any stretch of the word. It was actually a genuinely a very, very good match at that. It's just the way it ended left us, me at least, with a little bit of a sour taste given the fact that I want to see these women's tag team championships find their way down to NXT because I feel like they'll be better utilized there. Uh, as it stands right now, obviously the main roster is struggling when it comes to women tag teams. I really, really want to see it to go down to NXT. I think we'll, we are going in that direction. I think we are going in that direction, especially after tonight, especially after Adam Pearce and what he tried to pull. And I think that was a good way to sum it all up and wrap it all up for that one match. And now let's see how it moves on going forward. But good job from WWE NXT. They're not giving it to us right away. Not giving it to us right away. And they're putting on a super card for next week. That's for sure. Next segment. The Way Therapist segment continued. Hartwell still loves Loomis. And it's getting kind of freaky. Like getting kind of really odd. And not what you want to see on NXT television. Kind of. If you know what I mean. Uh, definitely not uh, uh, kid friendly if you will. Therapist finally gets alone with Theory and asks what really happened between Theory and Loomis. From that point, they cut to a to-be-continued clip and we move on and we will see later what really did happen between Loomis and Austin Theory. L.A. Knight, he cuts a promo and welcome L.A. Knight. I gotta say, welcome to NXT and welcome to the WWE. Uh, glad to have you, and I think it's going to be a really, really nice run for him. Uh, this He has a quote here. I thought it was great. He said that this isn't a childhood dream. This is a business. But deep down in his heart, I bet you it is a childhood dream. Of course it is for everybody to go wrestle in the WWE. That's what you grew up watching, and that's where you want to go and wrestle at the high, highest level possible. And right now, that is in the WWE and in NXT. So I think for him, this is a childhood dream, but... He says it's all business, and I understand that as well. Uh, puts himself on the same level as Gargano and Cole and O'Reilly and Finn Balor. Uh, he wouldn't be saying these things if he didn't get the thumbs up from backstage. And given that, obviously, his previous tenure in other businesses and other promotions, uh, I think he does have the right to say that. But it's honestly a little shocking given the fact that uh, how much those four that were named have accomplished recently, Gargano and his matches, and just, just what they accomplished at Vengeance Day, all, all of them. You know, uh, I've, uh, fantastic, fantastic from all four. And LA Knight, we got to see what happens with him going forward. But he cuts a great promo, and uh, really I can't sum it up in in this podcast, but he cuts a really good promo, and I love his um, ending statement. It's not a statement, it's a, a, f- a fact of life, he likes to say. I thought that was absolutely fantastic. Next match, Bronson Reed versus Cameron Grimes. Matches made earlier in the night. Reed and Knight meet eye to eye as Knight was making his way up the entrance ramp and Reed making his way down for his entrance. Grimes using uh, his new to-the-moon money type of music, which I think is very, very good for him and fitting for his character at the moment, and a character that uh, came out to be legitimate given how much money he made off of GameStop stock and all the stuff like that that he ended up being very lucky on uh, and and pretty much gambling his money in in that type of stock market move. 
Uh, but good for him. Good for him and able to work it into a gimmick. I love what he's doing in the type of Million Dollar Man type of I- idea and the Ted DiBiase stuff. Really, really, really nice uh, working that in there and now working into that rich type of character. But he doesn't look rich. You know, he doesn't look like how Ted DiBiase looked. He still looks grime. He still looks like Cameron Grimes, but now just has a lot of money, which uh, I- I doesn't stray him too far away from the norm. But still has uh, something you can stink your teeth into when it comes to Cameron Grimes. It's like, oh, this guy's rich now. And it's really, really fun to see because the guy, once again, that doesn't really look that rich. Uh, There's a great double cross body spot uh, with Grimes taking the advantage early on in the match. Grimes goes to leave the match, but Reed dives through the ropes onto the outside, a really nice spot. LA Knight returns and interferes with Reed. Grimes connects with the cave-in and wins. So we possibly could see in the next two weeks or even next week, uh, LA Knight versus Reed next week, possibly. Uh, and it's a good place for Knight to start. Not too high in the car. You know, we're not talking about him feuding for the North American Championship with a Gargano, and he's definitely not going for the NXT Championship yet. But he's still fighting in the weight class of the North American Championship. And against a guy that's not too high in that card either or not too low. So he's starting off with Bronson Reed. I think that's a perfect, literally, I couldn't find a better spot for L.A. Drake, LA Drake if I'm being a L.A. Knight. Oh, not, let me not say Eli Drake. I almost said that a couple times. But a better spot for L.A. Knight because uh, as it currently stands, Bronson Reed is that mil- middle barrier. And if L.A. Knight's able to get past Bronson Reed, that's going to make him look like a real force given the size of Bronson Reed and what he's able to do in a professional wrestling ring. Uh, the way therapy continued i believe that this is the final segment of it yes it is uh theory says uh that he was in a small room with no windows that were all boarded up the therapist said that she talked to dexter loomis and surprisingly yes talk to dexter loomis a person that doesn't talk and surprisingly loomis said that a theory was the most annoying person on the face of the earth Theory cries his way out of the therapy room, and Gargano pays the therapist for making it all up. So we can all assume Loomis still hasn't spoken yet. And for Gargano to be that master behind behind that plan, I thought that was very, very nice and very funny at that. But yeah, at the end of the day, these are decent segments and well-produced segments at that. It's not like the stuff we're seeing on impact that are really really poorly produced and i felt like it also told a good story throughout the night uh unlike the kenny omega stuff that we've been seeing on AEW recently we didn't see any of the kenny omega stuff last night but uh, from the kenny omega stuff like yeah like they're well-produced segments but what are they really telling what story are you telling me throughout these weeks like i really didn't get much from it with those Next match, Everrise versus Breezango. This ends up turning into a not a match. The bell was never rung because of Legado del Fantasma attacking Breezango during their entrance and Santos Escobar attacking Everrise as they tried to escape. Escobar cuts a promo saying that to not look at him after last week's events as a weak link or a person with weakness after what happened last week. And I think that was a good promo for Santos Escobar to cut given that the fact that he is still the NXT Cruiserweight Champion and he could possibly move, be moving forward away from Karrion Cross, We don't know what Cross's next steps are going to be, whether it's going to be for the Cruiserweight Champion, whether it's going to be for the North American or maybe even the NXT Championship. We'll see going forward. It's really, really tough to tell as it currently stands, 
given the fact that there's so much going on when it goes to the NXT Championship and the Undisputed Era and all the stuff like that. So it's really like waters that Karrion Cross doesn't really belong in currently at the moment. The North American Championship is wide open, but that is taking a step down from the NXT Championship, which is understandable. But, you know, I, I want to really see the story of Karrion Cross going and winning back the championship that he never lost. I feel like that would be a really good story to tell, but currently it's also just not the time for him. He's at the wrong, he's at the right place at in NXT, just at the wrong time because this Undisputed Era stuff is probably one of the biggest storylines in professional wrestling history, uh, at least of this current moment. Uh, I wouldn't say of, of all history, but one of, the, of recent history. Probably one of the biggest storylines that we've seen in quite some time. So Karrion Cross is going to have to find his way. And if that is with the Cruiserweight Championship, yes, it's nice. But it's not as nice, obviously, as the NXT Championship. Moving on to our main event, Finn Balor versus Roderick Strong. Roderick Strong, new music, new entrance, and no more Undisputed Era gear for Roderick Strong. Uh, he is in these uh, gray, white, and red tights that all say Strong on it, or it says RS, so representing Roderick Strong and not representing Undisputed Era anymore. A great mat wrestling early on. Strong looking like a different man and looking truly like an individual here uh, in, in a great way, in an absolutely great way, in a way that makes me look at Roger Strong differently than I've looked at Roger Strong in the past few years. Yes, we all know the talent that Roger Strong holds from his time in Ring of Honor and then now his time at NXT. We all know the talents that he holds, but I feel like he never reaches full potential because of all the casual fans, which is no problem with casual fans, once again, but with all the fans watching and saying he is sort of second fiddle, obviously, to Adam Cole. He's not at the level of Adam Cole, but Roderick Strong, we all know, definitely has the talent to be at that level of Adam Cole. And I feel like tonight really, really proved that for him in a sense of how he looked, how he carried himself, the new ring gear, the new music, really making a new man on last night's episode of NXT. Balor and Strong pulling out all the stops in this main event. The Coup de Gras connects a 1916 for Balor to pick up the victory. A fantastic match. A fantastic match. I can't really do it justice in this podcast uh, given how much it was all involved and how intricate it was. But you can only imagine how fantastic how last night's match was between Balor and Roderick Strong. You can only imagine what they're thinking about doing next week between Balor and Cole for the NXT Championship. So that's definitely going to be huge. And we'll see where that goes from there. Adam Cole, to end the show, looks on at the top of the entrance ramp down on Finn Balor as the show fades to black. So pretty good show. Pretty good show. And had a pretty tough show to, to, to face up against in AEW. And I'm not going to give a grade for NXT yet. I'm going to save that for the end after I finished my AEW review. So stick with us right here on the Daily DDT Podcast. On this day in pro wrestling history, on March 4th, 1973, in Madison Square Garden in New York City, Bruno San Martino and Nikolai Volkov fought to a draw for the WWF Championship. The match was stopped due to the building's 11 p.m. curfew 
after a 53 minute match. No word on this was intentional or not. If the match really did go over time and 53 minutes, it makes me think that it was a match that was supposed to be prolonged. But it does sure make for a fantastic story. And I only imagine if Madison Square Garden now, well, obviously pre or post COVID times, and now had a curfew, that would uh, rub a couple of feathers the wrong way if uh, Madison Square Garden did have that 11 p.m. curfew. But uh, honestly, now Madison Square Garden getting a lot more fans now because of these Knicks that are playing great. And uh, love to see it. As a, as a hometown kid, I, you know, you sort of got a root for it. On March 4th, 2013, Raw went old school. The first live appearance of The Undertaker since Raw 1000 was on this episode. Mae Young made her last television appearance as WWE superstars of female wrestlers and legends celebrated her 90th birthday, which wasn't actually for another week. So they did it kind of early, but they also did it in the idea that, you know, we're in Raw old school and we're supposed to honor the past. And much like how Legends Nights is, but except uh, uh, the the way the set was set up for Legends Night was actually like an old school type of vibe instead of just slapping the word Legends Night underneath the Raw logo. CM Punk defeated Randy Orton, Sheamus, and The Big Show in a fatal four-way match to earn a match against The Undertaker at WrestleMania 29. CM Punk in interviews has revealed that he didn't understand nor did he like the booking of this at all as it made no, no sense towards the buildup of WrestleMania and a match against The Undertaker. You know, to have, he obviously, I felt like uh, that was one of the times in professional wrestling I was really entrenched in it because I wanted to see what the storyline between CM Punk and Undertaker was going to be. And CM Punk obviously talking about Paul Bearer and the passing of Paul Bearer and flaunting around the urn and the ashes, which is really cat litter. And, you know, I think he did a good job making the build of what it was with Paul Heyman, all the stuff like that, tossing around the urn, joking around, passing it to Paul Heyman back and forth, all the stuff like that. I thought that was fantastic stuff when it came to storytelling is trying to make something out of nothing and the nothing was oh you have a match with the undertaker now try to figure it out and i think he tried his best to figure it out and did have a great match at wrestlemania we're gonna move on to aew dynamite the crossroads uh last night fantastic show and starting off with a match that i didn't expect to start off the night but there it was cody rhodes and red velvet versus shaquille o'neal and Jade Cargill. And I have my notes here. To start the show, in all caps, I, I write, yes, very surprising, very surprising, but I think this was the smart move, uh, getting fans to just turn on AEW, and there it is, right there. It's right there for you. And then hopefully after the match, they figure out uh, what's going forward uh, with the show and the build-up towards uh, Revolution, a show that... AEW is really trying to sell, but deservingly so. It's an absolutely stacked card. Uh, Shaq wears his own shoes down to the ring. I thought that was hilarious. But, you know, it's Shaq's shoes. He gets to wear whatever he wants. Shaq and Cody Rhodes actually start the match. Shaq gets in a great amount of offense early on. Uh, and Cody just making Shaq look like an absolute monster. Give, allowing him to do some chops. He did like a back body drop that looked like Cody Rhodes was like 17 feet in the air. It felt like Cody Rhodes really taking some crazy bumps. And Shaq looked, 
I wouldn't say he looked like a professional wrestler, but he didn't look like he didn't know what he was doing at all either. He he looked like he was genuinely uh, invested and involved, and this match had to be scripted out uh, probably a decent amount. And Cody Rhodes, I, I laugh because Cody Rhodes is probably like, you know what, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to have Shaquille O'Neal here on AEW, I'm going to do this myself. I'm not going to trust anybody else with this situation. I'm going to do this myself and figure it out. Cody Rhodes obviously becoming the face, if not, he is the face of of AEW, obviously as in the producer role, in an in-ring role, as a marketing role, doing all these shows, and was he on the, on the, the, the talent show thing that's on TBS, so he's doing everything right, trying to promote this brand to the moon, uh, no pun intended, but as much as physically possible, and he's doing a, a fantastic, fantastic job, but the, the moral of the story is, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. And I think Cody Rhodes did a good job doing it himself here, making Shaquille O'Neal look fantastic. Cargill tags herself into the match. She dominates early on and even does push-ups in the ring. After being attacked by the Nightmare family on the outside uh, by a steel chair, Shaq returns the favor and destroys them. Red Velvet moonsaults onto the outside. Cargill pulls out the, a table from under the ring, and then Red Velvet does the same, putting them right next to each other. Shaq is tagged in and connects with a power bomb to Cody Rhodes, and then Rhodes actually slams Shaq down to the map, which was a good test of strength. Cody Rhodes then sends Shaq through two tables. Let me repeat that to you, because I want to make sure you hear that right. Cody Rhodes sends Shaq through two tables on the outside. And as we all know in professional wrestling, if you're going to take a bump to the outside, you honestly want to do it through a table because it does, quote-unquote, cushion your fall. It's not like you're making your way all the way down to the floor. There's something breaking your fall, and that is the table. But for Shaq to take a table bump and Cody Rhodes to take a bump as well as he did a crossbody over the top rope to drop Shaq down onto those tables. Uh, it really is a, a, a test of Shaq's will and what he really wanted to do when he came to AEW. Even if it's just one match, he made it all count. He definitely made it all count as much as humanly possible. And we found it there with that big table spot. So good for Shaq. And he's gotten a lot of praise over the internet and uh, over through social media for taking that bump and taking the, the making that spot in that moment as big as it really was. So really, really good on Shaq. My, honestly, my favorite part of the whole match wasn't the table spot. It was actually the back body drop that Cody Rhodes took. I thought that was insane for Cody Rhodes because not only does he have to adjust himself in the air, I guess he had plenty of time given that it looked like he was 17, 18 feet up in the air, it looked like, but... Uh, yeah, really, really nice and good on Shaq for going all out, you know. You know, Snoop Dogg, we saw in AEW, he tried to do a frog splash. Wasn't too good. Wasn't too good. Not not, not all that. Bad Bunny doing a great job in WWE, did a nice splash to the outside as well. But for Shaq to go through two tables, you know, that's some real stuff right there. So good for him. Good for Shaq. And uh, especially for all the, the people coming from outside of AEW and people that are just basketball fans on TNT. They've been watching all the inside the NBA stuff with with Ernie and Chuck and and uh, Kenny the Jet Smith and obviously Shaq. So you watch all that, and you you say, you know what? They've been hyping up this AEW stuff so much. I'm gonna watch it. My boy Shaq's on there, and to see him go through ta- two tables, a lot of respect. Good on him. Cargill plants the face of Velvet into the mat and picks up the victory. Shaq is put into the back of an ambulance after commercial break. Tony Schiavone opens the ambulance door and Shaq isn't there. 
And that's how you, they keep you watching throughout the rest of the night. But if I'm not mistaken, I don't think they've even referred back to that moment throughout the rest of the night. I did not watch a Countdown to Re- Revolution after Dynamite because I really needed to record this podcast or else I'm going to be up really, really late. But uh, I did not watch it. If they did comment on that in Revolution, I apologize. But currently, as I stand here right now, I have no clue if there's any further motions in that storyline of of Shaq being put in the back of the ambulance and then not being found afterwards once the door was opened. Ray Phoenix and Pac versus John Skyler and D3. Phoenix runs the ropes in the beginning of the match and then Punk kicks D3. 450 splash from Pac, a sit-out pile driver from Ray Phoenix for the victory. Can we stop with these squash matches on AEW? I thought that was a thing like you guys like didn't do on AEW, these squash, squash matches. And for, you know, it's pointless. Pointless segment. And uh, just why even have it on the show? Why? Why even have it on the show if you're going to do something like that? You go from such a great, great moment with Shaq and all stuff like that. And then right after, you maybe you put on a really, really good match to attract the the casual fan or a fan that, that that's really involved. But they, they watch that. They're going to want to turn on the TV. Like, oh, just watch a squash match. Not fun. Not cool. But maybe they bring him back in after this with the Inner Circle press conference. And they are asked by members of the media that are actually members of the media. So first is what do the championships mean to MGF and Jericho? This was asked by a person on the uh, JR's Grillin' podcast. And uh, Jericho touts his previous tag team history with uh, not only Dwayne Johnson. He didn't say The Rock, but he said Dwayne Johnson. But also with Paul White, obviously his time with the big show in WWE and their tag team reigns. Uh, Would you allow Guevara back in the inner circle? And this was... a by an emphatic no. This is by an emphatic no, and I apologize because this was actually the one that was asked by the guy from JR's uh, podcast, and the one prior to that was asked by like some nerd, and I don't think they actually had a, a, a reputable reputable source for him, but I think that was supposed to represent uh, guys like me, like the, the nerds that watch professional wrestling all the time. I guess, I guess that was me. Uh, why did they attack Papa Buck was asked by wrestling podcast host who is actually the barstool host that was on nxt's pre-show so for for vengeance day so it was fun to see him not only uh walk the line of being on both nxt and aew it's a i guess it's a fun thing to see and you get that phone call what are you gonna say no you're gonna say no to aew like boy you get the phone call from wwe what was he gonna say no he gets a phone call for aew you can't say no you gotta say yes you get you get as much work as you can so good for uh brandon walker there of the barstool podcast you know get get as much attention as you can good for him uh he asked why did they attack papa buck and they didn't really answer the question to be honest with you it's just much of mjf just cutting his own promo which was fantastic but didn't really answer the question there to be honest uh a question was asked by eric bischoff as we all know from the 83 weeks podcast no of course we know him from wcw and uh, early WWF, uh, not, excuse me, the early 2000s in the WWE. So uh, he found his way to AEW. We've seen him do a couple things with uh, AEW in the past with the debates and all stuff like that. So good for Bischoff as well. And uh, his 83 Weeks podcast is also very good. And But that's how he introduced himself, which I thought was very funny. Uh, he asked, uh, what is the condition of Papa Buck? And why would you attack Papa Buck and give... The Young Bucks, the extra motivation. And 
uh, after that segment, uh, obviously that made the inner circle very angry. That would then uh, allow uh, the Young Bucks to come out and they could a promo on the inner circle saying that without the Young Bucks, there would be no inner circle, there would be no MJF, uh, and there might not be any, there wouldn't even be AEW if it wasn't for the Young Bucks finding their way over. And they even made the point saying, where would Jericho be? Pulling the curtain at the Performance Center? And that, I, that, that made me pop. And, you know, you're talking about WWE on AEW. That, that, that's, that's just what you do nowadays. A huge brawl leads to a double elbow drop from the Young Bucks to Santana and Ortiz through two tables. Uh, I mean, the booking for this go-home show so far has been really, really good when it comes to actually talking about the matches that are going to happen in a circle versus uh well mjf and jericho versus the young bucks for the aw tag team titles the, this segment right here made me excited for that match on sunday the uh, uh i don't know if cody rhodes he's gonna have a match and i guess that made me excited for the face of the revolution match i don't know but this segment right here made me definitely very 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 excited for what I'm going to see. Also, uh, AEW, hello, I'm here. You can uh, invite me to do some press conference work. I, I don't mind putting over uh, whoever I got to put over. I can do some press conference work. Come on, AEW. Come on. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm in a company back podcast here, man. I'm with Fansided, all right? I, I made it, man. I made it. Give me a phone call. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Of course I'm kidding. But, uh, yeah, no no bad blood, AEW, but uh, I'll see you in the, 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 the dark alley. You know where I'll be. FTR and Tully Blanchard versus Jurassic Express. And yes, you heard that right. FTR not with Tully Blanchard and Tully Blanchard. Yes, he's coming out of retirement and wrestling in this match. Uh, Tully Blanchard starts the match, uh, but tags out quickly after throwing around Marco Stunt. Marco Stunt was usually the person that Tully Blanchard was interacting with throughout this match and making the most sense for him to actually dominate, given that it's Marco Stunt. Jungle Boy and Jurassic Express dominate early on against FTR. J.J. Dillon, who was ringside for this match with FTR and Tully Blanchard, slips Dax Harwood his shoe to use and does use that properly and attacks uh, Jurassic Express. Uh, Tully Blanchard looks to go for a dive through the ropes onto the outside, but thinks better of it. Thinks better of it, and Ric Flair walks his way away from the ropes and tags out. And it was a good laugh from everybody, and it's a big laugh from me because uh, yeah, y- y- there's no way Tully Blanchard's going for the the classic tope suicida through the ropes. Not way, and it, it, he bounced off the ropes. And I thought he was gonna do it, and that that would have gotten a big pop from me. But it would have been a very dangerous move. I think he got even a bigger pop from me for him not to do it, not to do the move. But good, good on Blanchard there to know his spot and uh, to know what 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 is too much at that time. Marco stunt thrown into Tully Blanchard by Luchasaurus, uh, with uh, Tully Blanchard actually taking a bump. Blanchard connects with a slingshot suplex. Say that three times fast to Marco stunt. Tail whipped by Luchasaurus knocks down Blanchard. A masked and hooded assailant helps give FTR the advantage. Spike pile driver for the win as Tully Blanchard pins Luchasaurus to pick up the victory. Sean Spears is revealed as the masked assailant. And Arn Anderson enters and throws up the four. For old time's sake. For old time's sake. Obviously with Ric Flair not being there. And 
currently under contract with the WWE and the Legends contract. I can go on and on and on and on about how Ric Flair should just stay home and just do special appearances. He could do it for anybody he wants, for WWE, AEW, NWA, and literally impact any company because he's been there all. He's been everywhere. So uh, just stay home, Rick. Just stay home. I'm sorry this turned into a Ric Flair conversation, but I felt like I had to given I just brought up the four horsemen. Paul White making his AEW debut after that match, fantastic match we just saw with Tully Blanchard. Paul White making his AEW debut. He comes out and the Jumbotron says, no more BS. And he also comes out wearing that same shirt as well. Obviously, you can get that on AEWshop.com. Get that on Pro Wrestling Tees, wherever. I don't know if they, how they sell them everywhere now. But you can get that shirt. Uh, no BS, obviously, referring to the uh, BS as in the slang term in BS. You know that that like that's BS, and also re- referring to Big Show, like no more Big Show. That it's, that's gone. So I thought that was very very nice touch there on a, and you know a, a play on words. And I thought that was a really good thing to put on a T-shirt. Uh, and he even said, he, uh, there's a quote here, how many of you saw this turn coming? And he made that gesture of obviously everyone knows that the big show has made a thousand heel turns and babyface turns throughout his career. And uh, how many of you saw this coming? I sure didn't. I sure didn't. I remember exactly where I was when I saw the news of big show finding his way over to AEW. I was in the my college's uh, cafeteria and I was getting some breakfast and I looked down on my phone and I'm like, oh, the big show is on AEW now, or Paul White is on AEW now. Huge news, and that's that's the type of news you gotta call somebody for. That's the type of news that you gotta pick up the phone and tell somebody else that understands what's what's actually going on. Because you can't keep that to yourself. That's a moment you gotta react to everybody possible if when you see the big show makes his way over to AEW. He says that he gets to fulfill the passion of his color commentary dream, and I believe he's going to be able to do that on Elevation. I'm honestly pretty excited to see that. The Big Show says that at AEW Revolution, AEW will sign a Hall of Fame-worthy talent. OMG, this is pretty big. This is a big deal for AEW if they're really going to sign a Hall of Fame-worthy talent. So when he says Hall of Fame-worthy, you have to think... Who is it going to be? I currently have no clue. I have absolutely no clue. I'm not sure if any leaks came out or anything like that. But think about it. When they say Hall of Fame worthy, they haven't made it to the, which seems to be the most respected Hall of Fame currently at the moment, the WWE Hall of Fame yet. So you have to assume they haven't made it there. So who's a person that is either under contract with currently getting out of contract with WWE or is not in contract and could find their way to AEW. Uh, I can think of a couple names, maybe JBL. I don't know how DP is into a contract or a Legends contract. Uh, you know, he does the pre-show for all these pay-per-views, but is that something that's really going to be locking him down? Uh, I, I I could run through many names and probably find one that is a current WWE talent or former WWE talent that could make their way over to AEW. I think that would be a good segment of its own. A couple, uh, we maybe when we do the AEW Revolution predictions, and maybe by then we'll have a better light and a better scope of it. But off the top of your head, start thinking. Start thinking. And if you have an idea or have an inkling, let me know on Twitter, Jaden Becker TV. Uh, definitely a, a place where 
you can tell me anything you need to about professional wrestling, not only who you think this is going to be, or even if you just need a rant for a little bit, I don't mind. I, I've been on the, uh, plenty ends of uh, good rants, and I like to hear it as well because it gives me some good ideas to talk about on the podcast as well. So don't even worry about that. But Paul White making his way over to AEW, making his debut, an absolutely huge moment for him, an absolutely huge moment for AEW, a, a moment that the WWE sure won't forget, given the fact that he's been the WWE's guy for quite some time. And now, really got to give kudos to the big show, going after his passion of color commentary. I would love to hear him on the microphone. And going forward, I hope he gets involved into some in-ring stuff, if that's possible for him uh, going forward. Maybe he doesn't have to work as a full-time guy, but can work his six matches a year and make it look really, really good. And especially with how AEW works with their big men, I think the big show will really, really be dominant in AEW if given a chance uh, in any possible storyline. I'm not talking about him going forward with the AEW championship. I'm not saying that, but I think he'll be a dominant force in a couple storylines that he'll possibly be put in going forward. But we'll definitely see. But once again, good on the big show. Good on Paul White doing what he needs to do to keep your career progressing, especially when WWE was sort of giving you the red light. But now, big green light, big big green flag for Paul White in AEW. And now might be, this could be a good role for Paul White going forward. He could be like the next Adam Schefter or Ian Rappaport if you follow the NFL or if you follow basketball, uh, Adrian Wojnarowski, or if you follow baseball, Jeff Passan. So... He could be that next guy for AEW that breaks all the news first, so that so Fightful doesn't get it first, or so uh, Wrestling Inc. doesn't get it first, or Wrestle Talk or whatever. All these big major uh, news outlets don't get it first, and Paul White's the first one to say. I feel like that would be really, really good for AEW to have their own breaking news guy and have that breaking news guy be the big show. If he can develop into that type of character, not only on an on-screen persona, but also into a, a real-life persona, saying that we have just signed so-and-so and he came through Paul White first, I think that would be really, really nice for him. And a good social media presence on Twitter as well would, would definitely do not only him some favors, but AEW as well. Moving on to the final of the AEW Women's Eliminator Tournament, Nyla Rose with Vicky Guerrero versus Rio Mizunami. This match was at 9.05, so don't worry. This wasn't at 9.20, but it was cutting close, cutting close. I, li- I always like to see if the if the matches are going to be at 9.20 for uh, AEW and their women's matches. It always cracks me up when it, it is that close. Uh, Hikaru Shida is watching on ringside. Mizunami putting on a quote-unquote show. And when I say show, she, not in her in-ring work in the sense of uh, actual holds and stuff like that, but really being like a showman or a show person, really trying to hype up the crowd in a sense of how she was acting in the ring. Uh, for an American audience, uh, it was going over really well in Jacksonville, but I wonder how well it was going over in the average American home. Uh, not a person like me watching where I watch professional wrestling all the time, but someone that watches professional wrestling casually and watches it, let's say they just happen to turn on AEW, and then they see this match. I wonder how well that would have gone over in that type of setting. Uh, probably could have gone over pretty well, given that it's a different look and uh, different from what people usually think about professional wrestling being, but also it could have gone over in a, a different light because that's more of a, a Japanese type of uh, aesthetic that really gets over there. So 
Uh, it could go both ways, but I'm really curious on how that would go over in a casual American household. Back and forth action turns into a strike fest where the two are just going at it with elbows. Uh, Mizunami kicks out of the hanging knee drop from Nyla Rose. A guillotine leg drop from Mizunami gives her the victory. So it's going to be Mizunami versus Shida for the AEW Women's Championship at AEW Revolution. And it should be a fun match after the after the previous match, Mizunami is handed the trophy by Shida. They shake hands with Mizunami and Shida trade elbow strikes with Shida standing tall. And as I said, it should be a fun match. We usually don't get to see this type of action in AEW in general of like two true, true Japanese stars go at it. And now we're going to see it legitly. And we usually don't see it from the women's division either. We had a fantastic tournament. Fantastic, fantastic tournament from AEW. And now coming to a head here, uh, this really should be a solid match between Mizunami and Shida uh, for the AEW's Women's Championship. The weekly Sting segment, I like to call it, Sting with Tony Schiavone. Sting feels ready for a street fight, he says, after Brian Cage knocked all the ring rust off him after the powerbomb that he took that seemed to scare the whole internet and the whole social media stratosphere of professional wrestling, even though, you know, he is a professional wrestler and a Hall of Fame professional wrestler like that. He can take a bump, and he took that bump there. Ricky Stark says uh, that Sting still got it he still believes that that he has the ability to be a professional wrestler at this age but doesn't believe sting is an icon ricky stark slaps sting sting attacks stark and then with a stinger splash and then a scorpion deathlock hobbs and hook from team taz come to stave starks cage attacks sting darby allen saves sting and you know it's it's the classic run and save run and save type of segment we've seen this kind of already from this group of people before so uh, it wasn't something that would turn me on to anything but uh, i still thought it was a good reminder and a good build to aw uh, revolution and it, it put me in a good place i thought this was solid and i honestly rather would have had them do what they did last week with the whole zipline thing and Darby Allen returning this week instead of last week. I feel like that would have really gone over nicely this week and then really just have me full steam ahead ready for uh, Revolution because this was that was next level what they did last week with the zipline and him coming in with the skateboard and then attacking people with the skateboard. That was just some awesome, awesome, awesome stuff. And I wish that they could have done something. I, I, I don't know what they could have done to top that this week. And I felt like what they did this week was a little bit repetitive. But it still was good enough for the build-up. Next match, Dark Order's number 10 versus Max Caster. Face of the Revolution Ladder Match Qualifier. So a singles match. Max Caster's bars are either really good when he makes his entrance or really bad when he makes his entrance. I think this is one of the really bad nights. Just didn't didn't click for me. Didn't click for me. Some of them, when he comes out, they're like, damn, he's really going in on this guy. But no, not today. I feel like this, this was a tough one. Scorpio Sky is on commentary for this match. Uh, he already qualified for the uh, Revolution Ladder match. Uh, coming up this Sunday. 10 dominates until the action falls outside. Jack Evans attacks 10 with the boombox of Max Caster. Caster then picks up the win. Evans is paid off by Matt Hardy as he makes his way up the entrance ramp. 
who vowed to destroy the Dark Order. He vowed to destroy the Dark Order last week, and which I thought was pretty good continuity, and he even had gave him the check there right in front of everybody's eyes, so we all know that Matt Hardy was the one to be the mastermind behind it. Speaking of Matt Hardy, he is in the main event of AEW last night. It was Matt Hardy and Mark Quinn versus John Silver and Hangman Adam Page. A pretty interesting thing to put on the main event, but I'll talk about that in a, in a little bit as soon as I finish getting through this match. Hardy and Quinn were in control early on, cutting the ring in half. Hangman enters and dominates on a hot tag. I always love his hot tags. Hangman Adam Page has one of the best hot tags in professional wrestling right now. Quinn accidentally hits Hardy. Page takes advantage and dives on Hardy on the outside, finally getting his hands on him. Page wants Hardy in as the legal man, but Hardy refuses. Hardy uses Quinn as the sacrificial lamb, if you will, and then enters the match, getting his twist of fate reversed. Silver enters and connects with a burning buster, kick out by Hardy. Page connects with the buckshot lariat and wins. Hardy attacks Page, Dark Order saves, and then all teams in the Battle Royal, the Casino Battle Royal, uh, end the show a little... Uh, I described. I didn't describe it to you the best way, but I think that honestly serves you the same purpose that it served me watching the show, because I was just confused in the ending as well. Like, why are we ending the show promoting the Casino Battle Royal and not promoting on the go-home show to AEW Revolution, the AEW title match, the championship match between Moxley and Kenny Omega. This, that makes absolutely no sense to me why you end the show like that. If anything, that's, this is how you start the show, right? I felt like I was just a little bit thrown off. They honestly could have booked this whole show in the opposite way, starting from the main event to be the opener of the show, and then worked their whole way to the main event being Cody Rhodes and Shaq. And that would have been fine. And honestly, that would have been good for a lot of people because that pack match would have been like the palate cleanser right before the Shaq match. I felt like if you flip this card on its head, it would have been absolutely perfect. But nonetheless, it was still a very good AEW and a very good go-home show at that. That's why I'm going to give AEW the victory this week for the Wednesday Night Wars. I'm going to give this show a grade of an A-, and I'm going to give NXT a grade of a B plus. Very close, and a low A- at that. Almost lost me a couple times throughout the show, but the highs, the high highs in this show really outweighed the lows. But NXT, once again, put on a really, really good show overall, and Next week, I can only assume NXT is going to beat AEW given that they have two championship matches. And not only that, going to continue the storyline with the WWE Women's Tag Team Championships. So, moving forward with NXT, we should see some great things. Even if they just so happen to move to Tuesday nights, which haven't been confirmed or denied yet by the WWE. But we should find out soon. Hopefully, hopefully very, very soon. Looking on to next episode, NXT UK, the only match that really matters on this card and probably one of the biggest matches in NXT UK history, Miko Satomura versus Kaylee Ray for the NXT UK Women's Championship. Should be a barn burner of a match. Can't wait to watch it. That airs today, 3 p.m. Eastern Time if you're in the United States, and then 8 p.m. 
Greenwich Mean Time if you are in the United Kingdom. So may be sure to watch watch that. If you haven't watched any shows of NXT UK, this is the one to watch today. So make sure you find your way onto the WWE Network. That's where it is. It's sometimes a little hard to find, but if you're there at 3 o'clock Eastern and you click on live stuff, it's going to be there. So be sure you find your way there. I'm, this is me plugging NXT UK. Even though I cover it all the time, I want you to watch this. I definitely want you to watch this. But that's all for me. You can catch this podcast on all your favorite providers. Make sure you subscribe on Apple Podcasts so you never miss an episode. And remember, you can ask your smart device to play the Daily DDT Podcast. If you like content like this, check out our fantastic writers at DailyDDT.com. And if you want to hear more from me, give me a follow on Twitter and Instagram at JadenBeckerTV. I'll see you tomorrow with another episode of the Daily DDT Podcast.